John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1292.mt2424, certificate number 51274, The Texas Zombies. Of your loves like the warmth from the sun, and this will be our year to the long time to come. Don't let go of my hand now, the darkness has gone. This will be our year to a long time to come. Have you ever seen the Beach Boys in concert? I feel like in Washington, D.C., once in the 1980s. Oh, did you go to Reagan's inauguration when I, they no. played? When Mike Love, <laughs> no. when Mike Love made them play? <laughs> I feel like I saw some version of them, but I... but. Uh, it did, certainly didn't have Brian Wilson. Yeah, in there's it. a complicated flowchart where yeah. Brian Wilson disliked touring as early as the late 60s, and they brought in Bruce Johnston, and then Mike Love didn't get along with a lot of the others, so he had his own competing Beach Boys that I think maybe had John Stamos in yeah, them. Yeah, John Stamos was in it for a little bit. He was definitely in the Kokomo music he is, video. He's playing, is he playing drums, drums or something yeah. in the Kokomo video? Yeah. I don't think of him as a drummer. But I wasn't a... It wasn't until later in life that I became a Beach Boys fan um i think during most of my 60s invasion period all through the 80s i wanted what i liked about the beatles was that they were a little bit metal you know there was even sure. even paul mccartney's like musical stuff it felt psychedelic and dangerous the beach boys are not dangerous in any way only later when you start to hear uh brian wilson go bananas in that music. Yes. And you but you, like, when you're a oh. kid, you just hear, I get around and fun, fun, fun. Yeah. You know, the brand that they and their dads were so successful in. And those harmonies don't feel scary. They feel it's a weird. party, it, but it feels, yeah, it feels it's too California. Uh, we, uh, I went to see Brian Wilson played here live last week and after it was my anniversary and oh, after nice. hemming and hawing about this, I, I emailed my brother who had seen Brian tour on one of the pet sounds, uh, resurrections and i said is it is it exploitative to see brian wilson now does it feel like that and my brother said no when i saw him he was he was feeling great he was obviously having a good time you should go would you say exploitative or exploitative exploitative probably i think i said it wrong well, i like exploitative i just want to make sure it's definitely exploitation not exploitation <laughs> <laughs> there was a massive exploitation everybody duck so- exploitation it's like Jerry Lewis uh, describing an explosion. Wow! <laughs> even so, I was I, I was convinced, and I bought tickets. And sure enough, I was just sitting next to some 
mom from Bellevue who had had a few too many wi- glasses of wine and was super excited to hear oh boy. California Girls and Surfing USA. And then a bunch of kind of gray ponytail types that were wearing their Beach Boys shirt from the last when they first saw them in 1974 and we're hoping Brian would play some stuff off Surf's Up. Uh, and, and sadly, was it exploitative? I did not feel great about myself. He had, uh, he had canceled some on this particular tour. I think he's not in as good shape as he was when my brother saw him a couple years ago. He had canceled a a run of dates this summer due to what he described as psychological health. And you know, the futurelings may not know anything about Brian Wilson, but one of the most, you know, tragic stories of a, of a sad genius of our century, you know, manipulated by, First his father, and then mental illness that was probably in his genes all along, and then the wrong group of handlers and doctors prescribing him the wrong stuff for years. And he's he's just kind of a you know one of the great songwriting geniuses of our time, and now a shell of that. We should talk about it, I think, and we did a little bit in the Wild Man Fisher episode. But there, um, <clears throat> there is a, a a small epidemic of great artists from the 1960s where. Their use of, and I mean, I'm talking about Brian Wilson and Sid Barrett, mm-hmm. um, their use of psychedelic drugs in profusion doesn't seem unconnected to the fact that they had a, a psychological break. Those are both cases where I think there were pre-existing problems that maybe informed the drug use and intensified yeah. the drug use. Right. Like the but effects the, of it. But the, you know, the idea that I mean, we don't, we don't continue to see um, artists of that stature become that fragile Right. It's it 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 does seem kind of unique to an era when LSD was being used as a as a daily drug by certain segments of the population, by art, art artistic crowd. But that that's a speculation for a different episode. But Brian Wilson has been extremely fragile for decades. Yes, and still on display by a lot of people who just want to go out and see him sing Barbara Ann. And as a result, it's a very unusual spectacle when he's not having a good night. Is he trotted out? He, when the curtain comes up, he's already behind a piano. The piano is turned so that the, you cannot see if he's actually able to play anything ever or not. Mm-hmm. Um, on this particular tour, uh, he was with Al Jardine, you know, the only one of the surviving original Beach Boys that I think is still in his good graces. Sure. I liked, I always liked Al. Al's, Al seems like a great guy. Yeah. Al's son is, so uh, for years, Brian has toured with the Wondermints, these LA power pop geniuses who are kind of able to orchestrate all of his 60s symphonic work for the stage. And, you know, all these boomers get to hear pet sounds or good vibrations sounding like the record. <laughs> and it sounds amazing. I mean, it, it really does. It's, it's an 11 or 12 piece band. Is there a real theremin player or are they doing it with the keyboard? It's a keyboard. It's a, you can hear the pitch Come blend on, on the keyboard. that's no good. Why would you not have a theremin? Come on. But there were a lot, a lot of musicians and, and it, it, the, the stuff just sounded great. It's, it's all just so perfectly manicured and orchestrated and they, they, you know, they start and end with a ton of just good time beach boys party. Help me Rhonda type songs. That's gotta be fun for Brian to do, even if he's not a hundred percent there. I would hope so. So my deepest hope was that despite everything you could see about his affect and the way he was acting, that on some level he was having a good time. But he did not seem to be. But I fear that's not true. Oh, there, no. were, there were many times where he was clearly supposed to sing lead on a song and he, you know, they've gotten to a point where the falsetto leads now are sung by 
Al Jardine's son, who has this beautiful angelic voice and sounds a lot like Brian in 66. Hmm. So he'll take the lead on Wouldn't It Be Nice, and then Brian will come Wouldn't in. Wouldn't it be nice? I can't stop. I mean, See, all those songs are songs. wonderful. <laughs> and then, but then it comes to the part where maybe Brian can sing in his current register, and he would sing the maybe if we think and wish and hope and pray. And he would do that. But as the, the night went on, there were many times where somebody like Al or his son would have to step into a place where Brian was clearly supposed to be singing lead, and the band was realizing that he was not. What was he doing instead? Uh, kind of nervously brushing back his hair with a trembling hand, biting a thumbnail during Good Vibrations. Okay. He got through Heroes and Villains, and his voice sounded pretty good. And it's clear that whatever the problem is, it's not vocal. It's, yeah, it's yeah. just being Brian Wilson now makes it impossible to sing lead on Help Me Rhonda when the band wants you to. It may, this may sound crazy. But being on stage and performing for a large audience of people, uh, do you think that's uh, not the perfect therapy all, for him? <laughs> all of uh, like a, like an extraordinary catalog of music is hard. It would be hard for. I mean, it is hard for anyone. You know firsthand. Yeah, and it's then hard. especially with a, a band that big doing arrangements this difficult, night after night, um, it's hard. And so if you're already struggling. It's a lot to expect that he would. I mean, you see people cancel tours all the time where they're just like, I just can't do it. I'm man. not in the right place. I just place. can't get out there. I'm, I've got a sore throat or whatever. You but. never, you never canceled a show famously. One time we were, we had left Iowa City and we were headed back to Seattle, but we had to go play the Lion's Lair in Denver. And we were driving, and you know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever played the Lion's Lair, Ken, but it's. I'm going to check my. Can let be, me open the notes app on my phone. It can be a little bit of a rough slog. This was this was early on. This was before we uh, we had graduated to the Bluebird or whatever. You know, before we were playing venues in Denver that didn't have rust on their microphones. <laughs> and we had the thing is we'd already played the Lion's Lair on that tour. We started off that tour at the Lion's Lair. So you were not excited about your second. You know, we'd been out for three months or whatever, and it was like, God, it's time to go home. And we started driving from Iowa City to Denver, and, you know, that requires that you go down. And Seattle is up, mm. headed west. And we're driving, and everybody's just like, oh. The psychological weight of heading out further from home. Yeah, all we have to do is just go to Denver, play the Lions Lair. It's going to suck. And then we get to go home. And it, I was behind the wheel, and I was like, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. We don't have to go to Denver. And everybody kind of sat up in their chair and they were like, what? Tell, tell us more. What? What do you mean? And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to call our booking agent. I call our booking agent's name is Matt Hickey. I called him. I was like, Matt, do we have to play Denver? And he was like, what? No. You want me to cancel? Oh, I'll cancel it right now. Party in the and van. I was like, say what? And he was like, yeah, never, never think about it again. And so we we actually turned at the next inner you know the next like off ramp and headed in a different direction and it was oh Yay! it was the greatest it was the greatest moment of being in a band that I've ever had. But that's because you never had this uh, your uh, dictatorial musician father who did not give you the option you were going to sing damn it and right. he was going to hit you if you were not on key. We never even had a tour manager because I think having a tour manager that person then becomes a person that that That's is charged guy. with making things happen. Yeah. And you know, if you don't, if you don't go against him, I mean, I could see Brian being woken up in the morning by a handler and all day long, just sort of 
being gently guided. Someone had to, some, I think we saw him. Someone had to come, run on stage at the end of the encore to tell Brian to do a little wave because they felt like they couldn't close the curtain with him just staring zombie-like into the crowd, which is kind of what he did for the previous two hours. Wow. And there were some great numbers. I mean, Blondie Chaplin, 70s era, Beach Boy, late 70s, came on and sang the lead of kind of a lot of that Carl Wilson, Blue-Eyed Soul stuff. Great stuff. That Carl's not here to do anymore. So he did Long Promise Road and Feel And, it, you know, it was fantastic. But you have to have Brian out but, there to right. get people at the show. He's at the center of the stage. So you have this very weird spectacle where a, a fun, goofy party is being held in front of your eyes and somebody's wailing on a sax solo during Barbara Ann or whatever. There are genius musicians everywhere just it, playing their hearts the out. The sound is amazing and impeccable. And in the middle of it, there's this Brian Wilson-shaped void right. of just sadness and being lost. Right, you have to pull out the the star of of uh, of India in a glass case and just put it in the middle of the room, and and it becomes a museum. That's exactly that's exactly what happened. So it, one of the more unusual live music events I've ever seen. But there, but among the highlights were uh, they did uh, God Only Knows, uh, um, it's one of the great songs of all time. Famously, Paul McCartney called it the greatest song of the 20th century. Even though it doesn't have a bridge, <laughs> right? Or, or really, or even a chorus. It's it really just, just a verse that then turns into a chorus and repeats, right? Yeah, it just it's the strangest little song section. <laughs> well, you can see Brian getting more fragmented. Like they did Friends pretty much in its entirety, a, a 70s era Beach Boys record that apparently he loves. And all those songs just fade out at the weirdest time. Like, <laughs> and we're out of song, so here we go. Okay, there, it's gone. <laughs> That's weird. And they kind of had to approximate it live yeah. over and over. And as I'm listening to Friends, you know, the week before the show, I'm like, this is going to be interesting to see how they do it. Anyway, you can kind of see that he's starting to lose the ability to build a song for the three minutes it requires. Our good friend Ben Gibbard got up on stage, I, I understand. He did, in a Kilby Court shirt. Little, oh, uh, little Salt Lake. Salt Lake flashback. High five. Apparently they're selling those in vending machines now. I don't know. But uh, famously, I have not, uh, I have failed to recognize Ben the last two times he said hi to me. And so my wife nudged me and said, hey, Ken, that's, uh, There's your buddy. that's Ben Gibbard from There's Death ben. Cab for Cutie. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> he got to play the tambourine. I'm, I'm, it seemed like a lot of fun for him. Yeah. When your name comes up, he's always like, oh, Ken, your friend that never recognizes me. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm, I have a very specific kind of face blindness <laughs> called Gibbard's disorder. <laughs> when did you first get life insurance, John? Do you remember? Oh, it has to do with the birth of my daughter yeah I mean, same way yeah once you i mean before you have a child who cares <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if you die what do you i mean you know a motorcycle could fall from space and hit me right now yeah and... bury, bury me in a field uh, of flowers uh i was the same way once i had kids i started thinking about it seriously because you know you realize your family depends on you yeah when my dad died he died like owing a ton of money to the IRS and to 50 other creditors. Ooh, so this is a very real thing for you. But he had a life insurance policy that somehow was um, was not included in whatever his other many uh, debt machinations were. So his creditors were appeased? Yeah, and it was... Um, it was, you know, it was great. It was nice. It did feel like a real uh, step into adulthood, uh, kind of a an, an scary off-putting moment. I have to figure out life insurance. But I think we can make that easier for people who try ethos, which is a faster and easier and more affordable way to get life insurance, to make sure your family's taken care of. It seems like a big question. You know, life insurance is an investment and you don't think of it as one necessarily, but you are paying 
into a thing that in in the event of of something awful happening pays out in in uh, in spades it doesn't have to be intimidating like this is ethos makes it very easy you just have to you know you fill out a questionnaire with information about your your health your age your income and you you get an estimate right away and uh you know everyone's estimate is going to be different but if you're say a healthy 35 year old for just $50 a month, you can have a million dollar ethos life insurance policy. Which, that's the, which that's is great. The, the thing about life insurance, right? If you are an 80 year old, <laughs> life insurance is much more expensive than if you are a 35 year old. It's, it's pretty bargain price when you're young. I can't really. Oh, I, and I see why if yeah. I was selling life insurance, I think I see why I would charge the 80 year old more, more. That's right. And, uh, but it's precisely if you are a young person who's out riding your gossamer albatrosses, uh, Getting you know having risks and uh, and drinking champagne that um, that you would you know you have less savings you would need to support your child with some kind of you're also more likely to have young children who rely on you right. an, an 80 year old man unless you're Tony Randall you don't have um, you don't have a you don't have a baby at home in the crib so what what uh, if if we were going to point omnibus listeners to um, should we do that to uh, to ethos as a way of of sort of providing them a tool through which they could maybe pursue search for the right life insurance policy for them. You know what? I'm going to sweeten the deal. I'm going to say they should go okay. directly to ethoslife.com slash omnibus and click on check my price. That's a fully personalized quote they can get just by going to ethoslife.com slash omnibus. So you're suggesting that if a listener to the Omnibus Project. Who might not have life insurance or might not be happy with their current insurance situation. But but currently has some questions about life insurance and is interested or maybe just life insurance curious. Yeah. You're suggesting that they go to ethoslife.com slash omnibus and explore their life insurance options. Don't forget the slash omnibus. Tell them John and Ken sent you. So when they did God Only Knows... They brought out guest vocalists. They actually brought out uh, Colin Blundstone and Rod Argent from the 60s British Invasion band, The Zombies. An incredible band. Who were opening for them. So, so, so before, you know, Brian Wilson and, and, and co. are the main attraction. But honestly, I was more excited to see The Zombies. I'd seen them a couple times before. Doing At state do, fairs? Where do you see the zombies these days? They played in Seattle three times in the last five years. You're kidding me. Where have I been? And each time I saw them, Sean Nelson was there. Of course. Our friend Sean. <laughs> My former bandmate <laughs> or current bandmate. I never broke up the long winters. And I remember talking to Sean and uh and, and he was like, Yeah, I see I see the zombies every time. Because well, how are you gonna It's exactly not? the kind of power pop that 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 runs in his blood. The Zombies, they do a show where they come out with their current lineup because they're still recording. It's it's Colin Blonstone, the original vocalist, and Rod Argent, the original keyboardist and their main songwriter, uh, and and you know a new rhythm section and, and a new guitarist. Uh, they still record and then, but then halfway through the show, they will bring out the original members of the band what? who are still able to tour with them, and then the, with the original drummer and bassist, although the guitarist passed away in 2004, they will do all of their masterpiece, Odyssey and Oracle, in its entirety. Wait, so they have the 
The real zombies. They have the real zombies backstage, but they start out with the new version to do. We're going to play a couple of our new songs. Weird. It, it's it's a little odd. If the old zombies are capable and willing of go, uh, willing to go on tour, why wouldn't they also be capable and willing to just go in the studio and make records? Apparently, for whatever reason, they are not, and it would be a disservice to the current fill-in guitarist and rhythm section to tour just with the old guys who are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So you got Rock and Roll Hall of Famers waiting off stage while their current bassist and drummer play some of the new stuff, which is is perfectly pleasant uh, pop music. This is bonkers sounding. I have heard every story of rock and roll weirdness, but the idea that the that the original band is, is there standing off stage willing to perform waiting. and going to perform and yet it's like no 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 we're going to use these these uh, like 30 year olds and they divide up the 60s material so they'll do the early singles they'll do uh she's not there and right. tell her no with the new guys <laughs> what <laughs> who did not play on the albums and then they switch out the old guys come back on and they do they do odyssey and oracle in its entirety ending with their big hit time of the season these guys are now so blundstone and argent are now 74 and uh blundstone still tries to look a bit like a rock star with the scarves and the the vest and it's opened a button wider than most 70 year olds would i'm not sure which which way to go on that uh, Did you like that better or worse than if he had just been up there in a button-down shirt? Well, the the other guys come on stage and they really just look like your British grandpa from down the pub, you know, wearing some tweedy suit and yeah. and, and and kind of owlish spectacles. And you're like, is that guy really going to play bass? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Rod Argent kind of splits the difference. He looks more like a you know elderly lesbian kind of yeah, a look. Right. Uh, you know, he he doesn't color his hair anymore, but he's. He's kind of got an angelic Angela Lansbury kind of quality <laughs> behind the synth. Your 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 spinster aunt, exactly. Yeah. British Gran, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Blundstone still sounds fantastic. Uh, they're both Rod and Colin are both seventy four, but somehow his voice has been preserved through I don't know. He smears marmalade on his vocal cords mm-hmm. on his pharynx every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got more vibrato than he used to but it's almost more impressive you know that he's got this kind of uh, quality right as he hits the and his range is still whatever the two octaves he, he would do on the record in in 68 uh it's a remarkable bit of preservation that somehow we still have these guys uh paul atkinson the founding guitarist uh went on to become a, a music production company guy and with i think without him we would not have elton john and abba and all these bands he kind of sort of discovered in the 70s uh, but he died of liver failure in 2004. But the other four guys are still around, and uh, and two of them do half the show. Wow. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna have to consider that. But the the zombies to me were one of the one of my favorite British invasion bands. Uh, they were kind of suburban London kids uh, of the middle classes. But uh, when during the war, when factory work became the British enterprise, their parents kind of went back to working class life. So they kind of felt like they had a Beatles like working right. class upbringing, even yeah. though they were from a nice part of Hertfordshire, just outside of London. Sure. They could have been the stones. Exactly. Those, uh, those posers. <laughs> they were not, they were not art school kids like the stones, but they did have kind of the artistic soul and musical experimentation. Um, after the Sergeant Peppers and after pet sounds, when that kind of Baroque pop became, radio you know uh popular uh the zombies just nailed it on their final record what's crazy about she's not there their first hit is that it's darker 
and more contemporary, more modern sounding than a lot of British, uh, than a lot of that first wave of British invasion music. It's uh, they're kinks like in that they started out with kind of a, a fuzzy guitar sound that sounds very contemporary. And then like the kinks sort of became, you know, weird, frilly, lace collar wearing, uh, symphonists of the British countryside. Uh, they almost broke up very early, but they happened to win some local contest. They got them a deal at DECA when the world was hungry for mod, five mod kids yeah. in black suits. And so they did that for a while. Uh, you know, She's Not There was also a big hit for Santana. Oh, I don't know if I've heard that version. Long time later, like like later Santana, late 70s Santana. She's Not There is just a perfect little British Invasion pop song. But sadly, uh, Tell Her No, which I think is just an equally catchy little bop uh didn't kind of fail to chart did not make the top 40 in the uk and deca dropped them really so by the mid 60s they are kind of done and they managed to scrounge a thousand pounds from cbs records and they rent their own studio time in abbey road and so by this time they're hanging together they're they don't want to break up they want to they've got a raft of new songs that they want to record um i i hate to interrupt but She's Not There was also recorded pretty famously by Vanilla Fudge. (gasps) It all comes together. Imagine a much slower version. (laughs) So let me tell you about the way she looked. (laughs) Some super lead-footed, slow acid trippy. uh, Is this just a podcast about Vanilla Fudge now? It's increasingly, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly more than in the old days. You know, the, the, the futurelings don't like to be told what to like. But uh, but we're going to force Vanilla Fudge on Are them. we bringing back <laughs> Vanilla Fudge? So just with, with a thousand pounds, they rent their own studio time in Abbey Road and insist on putting out this record, even though Decca's essentially dropped them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they record Odyssey and Oracle, which is in the wake of... They're using the Beatles, the same four-track machine the Beatles used for Sgt. Pepper. Apparently, John has left his Mellotron in the studio. Oh, wow. So they, can't, they don't have the money for all the, the cellist and, and whatnot that they want. But they have the Mellotron to kind of fill out the arrangements. Because if you listen to this record, it is the most... I mean, it's 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 amazing psychedelic pop, but it, all, it also is, you know... Uh, of its time. It's very Baroque, dense, complicated. It's the kind of thing where you would... You know, if you had oblique strategies back then, every card would say, add harpsichord or something, you know? Like, there's there's a lot. It's it's kind of a lot, that record. So, so there, are they, in a way, sort of pioneering that next evolution of uh, Baroque pop? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, there, there's plenty of kind of art school kind of experimentation on it. You know, there's an anti-war song on the record, but it's, um, it's not a summer of love Vietnam for what it's worth kind of thing. It's... Uh, it's called Butcher's Tale, Western Front, 1914. Oh. And it's a World War One thing sung plaintively by the bassist with an accordion. It's, ba- it's like the movie MASH. It's about a different thing, but... A, yes, yeah. it's, it's about Vietnam, but wink, wink. But it's about seeing your, your buddy on the barbed wire filled with lead and covered with flies and how they wouldn't be so rah-rah at home if they if they knew how awful war... Right. It's very And it, and it turns into the... the it's all accordion, but then this kind of psychedelic whoosh, day in the life stuff comes in on the chorus as the narrator really starts to enter into his sh- extreme shell shock. But there's also these just, be- you know, it's very kind of floral, beautiful, sweet imagery. You can just imagine the tie-dye uh, paisley fab- uh, patterns popping in front of your eyes when they sing uh, 
Beachwood Park. Or... This one's this was when psychedelia was still. It's benign. It was still cute. It was beautiful. The, the double-breasted jackets with like six buttons. The Hell's Angels have not stabbed anybody in the head yet. Yeah. So this all seems like things are really coming together. Like there's this there's this very brief interval, maybe less than a year, where it really seems like the world might change and it's going to be beautiful art like this that helps make it happen. But uh, despite all this, uh, despite the record just turning out fantastic, it's beautiful. Morale is very low in the studio. Um, the uh, Rod Argent has written a song called Time of the Season that he's convinced is amazing, and Colin keeps singing it wrong. So the band almost breaks up over the songwriter being like, you have to sing it like this, and the singer being like, you know, you're the singer and the songwriter, so this does not affect you unless you're schizophrenic. But, uh, but you know, this is probably not uncommon with with bands to fight over this kind of stuff, right? Right, because the singer, if the singer isn't writing the lyrics or the music, which the is singer, the case here, singer wants to interpret it somehow. Although it's all he's got. You know, the song uh, "Drive" by the Cars, their number one, R.I.P. Uh, Rick, the, the biggest uh, hit for the Cars, written by Rick Ocasek, but sung by their bass player Benjamin Orr. Um, and I don't, I don't, I. I've never heard a report that Rick wrote it one way and Ben sang it another. I've heard Paul Simon complaining when Garfunkel would get just standing ovations for singing Bridge Over Troubled Water. And meanwhile, Paul is just stewing like this classic short guy, anger. Yeah, yeah, I, I wrote that song. Why yeah, you... uh, Paul gets plenty of praise for <laughs> writing and singing almost every other I like song. How, <laughs> I like how to Paul Simon, like he feels overshadowed by... Art yeah. Garfunkel, the punchline uh, second banana of of, uh, of pop music. Yeah, Art gets one tune to and, really let go. And Paul's mad. Paul's like, I wrote it. Come on. So they're 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 fighting. Uh, there's problems with the you know they they take it down to a mono master and then they find out it's got to be studio. So they got to go back and do the horns again or oh, something. Yeah. It's got to be stereo. You mean? Sorry, yes, stereo. Uh, Chris White, the bassist, has a buddy do the cover, and it's a beautiful psychedelic piece of art, but his buddy spells Odyssey wrong. Come on. So to this day, Odyssey and Oracle is written with an E, and the band has to pretend it's a twee artistic touch. Really? But really, just their buddy didn't have a dictionary. It's like tattoo fails. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tattoo fail, but it's, in, it's now on the Rolling Stone 100 Greatest Albums of All Time. So they do have to, they, they just, they own it, huh? They just... Um... They pretend it was all part of uh, their That's nice. That's uh, their nice. uh, artistic design. Well, the cat's out of the bag now. The first song is Carousel 44. And, you know, if you today you might know some of these songs. Wes Anderson has used um, The Way I Feel Inside, which is not on the record, but was a, a single from a similar period. And uh, this will be our year. You know, today these are kind of hummable songs. But uh, at the time... They didn't trouble the charts. They didn't even pick time of the season to be there. To be the single, it's it's Care of Cell Forty Four, an epistolary song of a letter sent to a lover in in jail. No, really. How did Time of the Season make it out? Was it a B side? Well, Time of the Season was the second single. Here's what happens: the band, discouraged by both singles kind of flaming out in the UK, decide to break up. Oh. The Zombies are no more. Just you know, mere months after the release of Odyssey and Oracle, one of the great rock and roll records of all time. But what happens next is even stranger and did not come out until just a few years ago. Thanks to uh, a writer named Daniel Ralston, who kind of reported on this very odd slice of music history intrepidly for Buzzfeed and revealed what happened next in America time of the season. Maybe the only zombie song. Most of our future listeners can still hum comes out in the U S and suddenly months later becomes a radio hit. People start calling in and wanting to hear it with that kind of weird, 
uh, Porgy and Best style bass line with the mm-hmm. What's your name? Who's it down? Yeah, it's straight from Summertime from Porgy and Best, right? You know, the, the Long Winters covered it. <gasps> you guys have covered it? I've never heard it. One time, we were playing in Boston and some, Boston is where teddy bears carry around a, uh, a cauldron they of carry beans, a cauldron right? of beans. Did that happen at your show? Uh, no, but it was a it was a it was a big show, and it was you know, and a, it was a responsive crowd. And somebody said, um, somebody you know yelled at me out of the crowd, as often happened. And I said, "What's your name?" And Sean Nelson, in the band at the time, went up to the microphone and said, "Who's your daddy?" And I, I took his cue, and we, and it, it happened all very fast. I always, in time. I always marvel at bands that can just figure out the chords in those situations. But you guys, so I said, figured you know, it out. Is he rich like me? And the band, our bass player and drummer, just, just launched in. You know, just kind of comping, trying to figure out what, you know, we're what key are they singing we're doing in? It. <laughs> and I kind of got on the guitar, and we went, we went all the way through everything we knew. Uh, we couldn't, you know, do the whole song because there, it does get, there do get to be complicated chords. It turns into a long synth solo at, or organ Hammond B2 solo at some point. But we mostly acapella it, but with, you know, with the little bit of boom, because, you know, our band was talented, even if, even if we weren't. And it was really that, it was really like, like a, a moment we were all very proud of, the spontaneous covering. But that was the one time nobody's ever heard it. We never went back to learn it or ever do anything again. And nobody was it. taping that show. I guess not. None of the winter heads. What a, what a tragedy. Uh, I would love to hear that. I'm sure. I'm sure. If listening to it, it would sound terrible. But at the time, it was of the. It was in the moment. When you hear it today, you're like, "How can this not be a hit?" It's a. It's. It's just. Uh, you hear it once, and you'll always remember it. It's. It's. It's more for the vibe it has. I mean, when it goes, it's a great Rod Argent song with a great organ solo by him. But it's mostly just kind of the, the cool, effortlessly cool vocals of Colin that kind of sell that song. Um, it's a real show. Case for him and the and the, the tone of the season for loving and it's a perfect message it's for a great little harmony, strange little interval there. At the end. Yeah, um, and perfect for the time. Like this is the time of the season for loving. You know, this is 1968. Was re- we recorded at the end of the summer of love in that August, and by the time it becomes a hit in the U.S. the following summer, yeah, you know, this is the time of the season for loving. Yeah, that's what it's all about, man. When you think about it, love, right? But it's dark sounding. It's a it's a complicated. That's right. Dark it it tone. works in a post Altamont world. It's not la la la. So it tops the Cashbox charts. It makes it to the Billboard Top Five. Suddenly, America loves the Zombies, a band that has broken up a year previous. <laughs> <laughs> and in general, at the time, there is a there's this a bigger appetite for these British bands than Britain can supply. Like every American booker and venue and state fair wants. Uh, one of these mod British bands to come and there there just aren't enough for America. Britain's small. America's big. Right. They cannot supply us with our mod needs. Right. Uh, and the Beatles aren't touring anymore. Uh, there's all this energy. But we keep coming up with Paul Revere's and, and Gary, know, Gary Puckett's and animals the- <laughs> and stuff. Like we're, we're, we were doing our best to fill it in. The, you know, Paul Revere and the Raiders even wore uh, red coat uniforms, right? Like yeah. that's how, that's how British they wanted to be. But uh, one outfit has a solution. Uh, Bay City, Michigan, there's a, 
you know, the, the city made famous when the Bay City Rollers <laughs> accidentally pointed to it on a globe and named their van. Uh, there's a, a little storefront place called Delta Promotions run by two guys named Bill Kehoe and Jim Atherton, who are not the most above board part of, of the local promoting community. Maybe that's, maybe that's Wait a minute, already you, kind of a shadowy demi Are you I don't telling know. me that music promoters are, are they, sketchy Are they group? ever sketchy at all? Hmm, let me think about that. These guys are dealing drugs out of their office. Uh-huh. They are also representing their big, the big guy, a hit maker, local hit maker in their stable is Question Mark and the Mysterians. Sure. Oh, that's who, a crazy sounding band too. 96 Tears. Great pop band. That's uh, kind of a similar vibe, kind of. A, I mean, that's like a, what, two chord song? Yeah. Um, but it's the same kind of thing. Organ solo, kind of a weird, dark quality, but still something you can hum along with. Um, so they're booking tours for Question Mark and other even less accomplished local groups. Question Mark and the Mysterians, their gimmick was that nobody knew the lead singer's identity. Right. It turned out it was just some guy. Yeah, Mexican American kid named Rudy or something. But at the time, who is he? He's just Question Mark. Look at those mysterious shades he wears on stage. So they're planning regional tours for uh, for Question Mark and other bands, and they have the genius idea that if the zombies have a hit and the zombies are not touring, why not just create the zombies? Why not just hire local boys to go do shows? So people don't know the zombies well enough. They're, it's a, it's they, a different time. They had a hit or two, but nobody would recognize them on the street. Right. I mean, if, if it's the Beatles, that's maybe the lone band where people are, are buying magazines and posters and, you know, know every member of the band and which one likes Jelly Babies and whose birthday is next. Maybe not the only band, but yeah, right. I mean, I mean, the first band, certainly. The first band. Like nobody had a favorite Buddy Holly and the Cricket or Bill Haley and the Comet. Probably not. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and, and at the time, you know, they're... And I guess even since there have been these kind of long running acts where the IP is the band name and the songs and the artists are kind of interchangeable. Like think how many drifters there have been. There's pro- the temptations are probably still playing somewhere tonight with maybe no original temptations. Yeah. That's that, that aspect of it is kind of confusing. I mean, how many people can you replace? Well, the Pink Floyd thing is a sure. great example. I mean, the wall is being performed two different places on the same night. First, it's Sid Barrett's band. <laughs> then it's Roger Waters' band. Then it's David Gilmore's band. Like, what even is Pink Floydness? At some point, it's like, uh, what is it? Odyssey, the ship of Theseus or George Washington's axe, where you've replaced the every part so many times. Is it still the band? But this is an even more bald-faced, bare-faced lie. No, but it's not even not any original members. It's not any relationship to the zombies at all. Right. And for their local... Uh, Dates in the upper Midwest, they get a kind of a, a Beach Boys-like local band called the XLs, just to dress up as the dress up as kind of a, a mod British group and learn the parts, and to go out and do some do some local shows and fairs. The local promoters, the regional guys that are getting these acts through, they know what's going on, but they're happy to take their sizable chunk. Sure, and There's just a song on the radio, and then just lie to the audience and say like, "Yeah, we've." Uh, We've got the zombies, um, and they do a show, and they are not the zombies, and the crowd maybe notices, but they get out of town before anything hits the fan. Who? How would the crowd even notice, right? I mean, ha- half of the bands I've been in, the crowd doesn't know who's on stage. <laughs> if you told them- Even the band. <laughs> yeah, if you told them that we were the Decemberists, the crowd would be like, huh, seem taller. It gets even weirder in different parts of the country. There are uh, regional zombies that get broken out. 
in Texas in particular, they recruit a couple musicians from a local blues rock band. Wait, is this a thing where other promoters were like, hey, I hear that you can just steal the zombies. And so they start stealing the zombies too? This is all Delta Promotions dispatching different zombies all over the world as part of their bid for world domination. up, Delta Promotions? Protocols of the Elders of of Delta Promotions. (laughs) What was Delta Promotions also promoting other than the fake zombies? Were they like they were selling drugs out of their office oh. and question mark and the mysterious. Oh, I get it. Like they have okay. a small That's it. they have a small stable of local artists. I see. And they think this is a way to, you know, this is a, a new way to make money. So they got a new one in Texas. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, and they, ex- you know, they, and, and there will be announcements at these shows. These are just blues rock uh-huh. guys who do not sound, look or sound anything like the zombies. They are wearing cowboy hats. What? In their promotional materials and saying they are the zombies, middle-class kids from St. Albans, grammar school and not affecting an actress they did a these same musicians had done a short run for bay city promotions as a band called the rose garden which had a one hit called next a top 20 hit called next plane to london the lead singer of that band is a woman named diana de rose and these guys would just go out and do the song as you know three or four texas blues rock guys and pretend to be a band sung by a, uh, a song sung by a woman huh. and you know, they, they were doing, and so these guys eventually start doing the zombies. They don't even have a keyboardist. Uh-huh. And they, so they would, and they would say, oh, they, and they would tell the crowd, um, usually there would be some hand-waving reason why these might not look exactly like the zombies you see on the label. Right. There's a, there's a lady for one. I mean, the one thing you would know is what the band looks like on the cover of the record and you'd get all your, that's why people would scour LPs. They, yeah, right. You'd spend hours reading the lyrics and looking for clues about the band because there they, was no internet. The zombies do appear on the covers of their album. Yes. I mean, they're not on the cover of Odyssey and Oracle, but I think there are probably, that would have been the record that had time of the season on it. And I think there would have been photos of the band in the liner. Uh, so they would say, oh, well, you know, and they would tell the most bald faced lies. Of course, there's no keyboardist here tonight. He got uh, thrown in jail in Dallas. Right. Or even more barefacedly, they would say, uh, yes, um, obviously, there are some replacement members. Two of the original founding, oh, two of the original founding members have died. They would uh-huh. just, they would just kill off zombies <laughs> on the local radio station. And uh, a couple others have quit the band. But, you know, we've got the original guy. They would claim... Uh, by 1969, these Texas zombies are playing L.A. They're playing Whiskey A Go-Go. And the promoter has claimed that Hugh Grundy, the only surviving member of the zombies, is leading the band. But actual zombies guitarist Paul Atkinson has has, uh, has some friends at the show. And they notice that Hugh Grundy, the nominal drummer, is now playing guitar. <laughs> and he was 5'10", and this guy is 5'6". So they start letting the band know, hey, there are fake zombies crisscrossing America. The band hadn't heard this up until this point because they're broken up and they're just working in a... They've gone back to their regular day jobs. Uh, You know, Rod Argent would go on to form another band called Argent and Colin Blundstone had a solo career. The other guys are just are working office jobs, I think. Whoa. And uh, so so rumors do start to swirl. And Rolling Stone writes after, after this, after Paul Atkinson's friends catch these fake zombies in L.A., Rolling Stones goes to Bay City, or what's it called, Delta Promotions, and they ask Bill Kehoe, and that's why he says, yes, yeah, sorry, that's what we can do. The lead singer was killed. He's telling Rolling Stone magazine that the lead singer of a top five band has died, and two other members quit, so we've put together this band, 
it's the uh, it's the best we can do. Knowing that Rolling Stone has telephones and can can verify that or <laughs> right, not. Right. Uh, Chris White, the old bassist of the Real Zombies, tries to you know do some music stuff in the states and is told, no, 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 no. Uh, we've seen the zombies. We, you're actually not. We're, we're, you're you're a fake. We're tired of fakes like you. We've seen the zombies and we're not going to buy this. Uh, and actually, this is a, a, something that spurs the real zombies to reform in the early 70s. And they go back into the studio. They do some, they lay down some tracks. They're actually not, they will not be released for many years, but they're actually spurred to try to insist that they still exist because, uh, because they're tired of the imposters. Wow. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout argent is one of the great sort of uh you know, le- lesser known bands of that. Is it just era. one record? I can't remember. Do they pull out a second? But they, they have that great record? song. Hold, hold your head up. Oh, hold your head high. When I saw the zombies at the showbox, they they did hold your head up. They did. It's with, a great with tune. Rod Argent singing, kind of early it. version of a of a kind of stadium stadium rock. Yeah. Uh, shortly after this show, things start to go badly. The Rolling Stone piece. This is circa early seventies. This is nineteen seventy. Uh, 6970. Um, uh, Delta Promotions makes a couple big mistakes. For one thing, they start to tour their fake version of the animals, huh? whom you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> I think the animals are still around. And at one point, Eric Burden, the lead singer, shows up at a fake animal show with a baseball bat and threatens the fake version of his band. So it becomes like a Monday Night Raw kind of a vibe. Whoa. Uh, their other big mistake is they start to tour with a version of the Archies. Which is already a fake band. Right. You'd think this would be the easiest con to pull off. The Archies are, are comic book characters that a, a bubblegum pop producer named Don Kirshner has recorded session musicians singing catchy songs with and claiming it's the Archies. Right. Um, the cartoon tie-in helps. Sugar Sugar goes to number one. Uh, you'd think it would be very easy to tour the fake version of the Archies because who knows what they look like. Right. But in this case, Don Kirshner is well-off and well-connected and has lawyers. Sure, Don Kirshner's not going to let that happen. Right, so he is willing to put up a stink. And uh, and Rolling Stone, Ben Fong Torres writes a second story about the decline of the Delta Promotions empire and how it's finally catching up with them. But for several years, there are uh, multiple fake versions of the zombies just crisscrossing America while the real zombies are working regular jobs in, in London. In looking at this now, I'm seeing that the Texas version 
of the zombies. Hold on, this is the big twist. Is, is, is this what you're going to say? <laughs> yeah, <we> go ahead. <laughs> so, so the Texas version of the zombies used fake names, you know, D. Cruz or Chris Page. So they weren't they they weren't pretending to be actual members of the zombies. They had an excuse why the zombies themselves had either died or been or were in jail. I think the, these band members knew uh, that they were involved in a kind of a sketchy con. So even if there was some wink and nod to the fact that you're not pretending to be Rod, Colin, Paul, they're actual guys, the band knew it was not on the up and up. So they they would have to. I mean, they hadn't written those songs. They (laughs) (laughs) They weren't from England. Wait, are we? We're not from England, huh? (laughs) Is anyone from England in this group? We don't sound remotely like we're from England. Uh, And, you know, nothing could be less like a a British mod group than these kind of shit-kicking guys from West Texas or wherever these guys are from. The, the guy who signed his name D. Cruz on band documents in hope of uh, uh, keeping his name out of it was Dusty Hill. The guy signing his name Chris Page was Frank Beard. And the same year their con was up, 1970, was when they met Billy Gibbons, a singer and guitarist, and they decided to form a new band, which, John, today we know as... ZZ Top. ZZ Top. So two-thirds of ZZ Top, immediately before becoming ZZ Top is uh, playing county fairs and stuff, pretending to be uh, a British psychedelic Baroque rock quintet. That's amazing, considering that ZZ Top, you know, really pioneered and popularized this kind of, um, like, boogie, this Texas boogie. What could be more different, right? The British invasion. And it's got, I mean, ZZ Top has this, like, rhythm, this kind of, I mean, in a way, their whole sound is based around this, you know, like, (laughs) it's got this swingy kind of, uh, like, Texas blues, which couldn't be less, like... In in some accounts of these fake zombie show, people do realize, and the crowds leave, because they realize this sounds nothing like... This is not even a bad cover band, you know. This is this is just a bizarre experience, and and people do walk out. But yeah, I mean, apparently ZZ Top, these guys were good. Two thirds of ZZ Top was good enough to to pull this off for a couple of years. I guess ZZ Top could play the zombies, but could the zombies ever be in Back to the Future Three? <laughs> <laughs> I do not see the zombies. Uh playing sharp dressed man. The funny thing is the zombies and ZZ top are not, you know, they are the alphabetically last groups in the rock and roll hall of fame and probably always will be. And yet they have this, unless Zumpano gets in there. (laughs) I'm sure Carl is really has his fingers crossed for the, for the Zumpano songs. But, uh, so the last two bands alphabetically in the rock and roll hall of fame had this weird, uh, semi-criminal overlapping in the uh, the last years of the 60s. So was it rectified? I mean, was there ever what how was the was the final kibosh was was just Kirshner drove them out of business? Yeah, Kirshner drove them out of business and Eric Burden got them into headlines and they they knew the jig was up and the the practice of fake British invasion bands died with Delta promotion. So you and I couldn't put together a version, a touring version of the zombies right now. Well, the funny thing is this happens, just happens all the time, but it's just cover bands, you know, like right. we're going to go see, uh, um, I, I can't think of a funny name for a cover band. Yeah. Uh, right. The, uh, the, the, you hear about it all the time, right? The, the Lindsay bucking Broncos, yeah. you know, some, some stupid Fleetwood Mac. Oh, cover well band it's, uh, it, it's, um, uh, 
Creedence Clearwater Regia. I mean, there were several Creedence Clearwaters when the brothers were all fighting and uh, and Joan Fogarty wouldn't go out with them. So, so they did Creedence Clearwater Redux or whatever? Uh, Creedence Clearwater, uh, what was it? Um, not Revival, but um, yeah, Review or Creedence Clearwater Revisited. That's uh, what it was. I guess the famous one is Bjorn Again, you know, because ABBA hadn't toured in 20 years people would pay big money to see bjorn again and the the those beatles the fake beatles on broadway rain or whatever it was yeah, called yeah uh, they did that for years right um so it is kind of there are there are bars where you can go see a different uh cover band well, every it, night of the week a good friend of mine tours as the uh, is the tour manager for the um the hendrix tour uh the, which is called like experience hendrix um, does and, it have any kind of official imprimatur or is it just a cover band? Well, it does, it does because it's, um, because it's, I think endorsed by the Hendrix family. Yeah. But what you end up, what you end up with is this incredible group of musicians. So I think Billy Cox who played bass in the band of gypsies he, oh, okay. and he was in the Jimi Hendrix experience at the end. Uh, but you have like Buddy Guy and Zach Wild and Kenny Wayne Shepherd and Dweezil Zappa, all these people that um, have no connection. Brad Whitford from Aerosmith, like big, big rock stars, but that aren't doing anything. It becomes like Ringo Starr's all star yeah, band. Exactly. Oh, look, Ronnie Wood might hop on stage yeah. at any time. Woo! But they're playing Hendrix music. And, um, and you know, you need like 25 really great guitarists to come anywhere close to. <laughs> to, to just do one Jimmy Hendrix. <laughs> yeah, just like, okay, well, Eric Johnson's going to give it a try now. Nope, not quite. Let's bring out Brad Whitford. And Brad Whitford's not even a soloist, so I don't know what he's doing. But but my, my buddy Andrew is the tour manager, so I'm going to see it when it comes through town. I'll let you know. Would you ever, uh, what would you do if some... Long Winter's impersonator band turned out to be going up and down the Eastern Seaboard doing fake Long Winter shows. There was, so there was a band called A Long Winter, which was also an indie pop band, which put out a record after the Long Winter's record came out. A Long Winter being a more direct ripoff of the um, the same reference, right? Well, it, the Long Winter's was just a thing we got off of a T-shirt from some Japanese kid in Kyoto, oh, right? But a long winter is a is a um, little house on the prairie book. Yeah, the, yeah, that's right. The long winter. Yeah. Um, and we ended up needing to copyright the name of our band because this other band had just said, "Oh, well, we'll we also have that name." We're not, but you guys are have the advantage. You're the long winters. They're just a a long, long winter. winter. It sounds like it sounds like one of your band members went rogue and tried to form the Mike Love version of Long Winters. But what uh, what ended up happening? As a result of of us copywriting the Long Winters, was that the estate of Laura Ingalls Wilder <laughs> wrote us a letter saying, "Hey, we notice that you copyrighted this, and we wanted we were in the process of turning the Long Winter into a Broadway play." Like a Broadway, we're doing all of Laura Ingalls Wilder's books as like musicals. That sounds like bull. That sounds like we need to stake a claim, and obviously there's not going to be a pop record based on Larry Ingalls Wilder. So, well, and so what they what they wanted was us to give them a um, you know dispensation 
But what they asked for was the right to do a musical. And they said, it was, you know, it won't overlap. And then our copyright attorney was obviously like, no, they can't put out an album of music called A Long Winter any more than those other ding-dongs can. So then I felt like, oh, no, am I in a, am I in a dispute, a copyright dispute with Laura Ingalls Wilder? I don't want that. But she got canceled, I think. Oh, did she? Yeah, it turns out her... Uh it turns out her daughter actually wrote all the stuff oh. and it's all falsified and maybe she was mean. I can't remember all the accusations. Well, in that case, I don't feel bad about shutting them down. You'll notice there was, has not been a Broadway musical called a long winter. And it's, yeah, it's nothing personal against Melissa Gilbert, who seems great. No. It's just the historical Laura Ingalls Wilder that you're taking a stand against. Yeah. Good for you, John. Some, yeah, s- you. Somebody's got to. Thank you. Well, it's about time a middle-aged white guy uh, prevailed in this country. And that concludes The Texas Zombies. Entry 1292.mt2424. Certificate number 51274 in the omnibus. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past as the original omnibus project. Yeah, uh, not, not except the, no substitutes. Yeah, not the fake one where just a couple of ding-dong octopi from octopuses rather from somewhere off the coast of uh of slobovistan if there's a bunch of yokels from alpha centauri pretending to be the omnibus project it's not them don't buy it we're from we're from the early 21st century yeah. we're gone look for the look we for broke the, up the jello with ma- marshmallows in it as the true sign <laughs> uh we hope and fear that this catastrophe uh, we fear may never come oh wait i'm doing the wrong one damn me Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are very difficult to duplicate. There are millions and millions of startups wishing they could be the fake Texas Facebook. But, you know, that is a place where impersonation happens probably the most today. Oh, maybe so. The social media is, is, you know, Rob Lowe having to be like, that's not my account. Or uh, You get the blue check mark. The Department of Justice having to be like, "That's, that's a... Parody account. Yep. They get the blue check mark. Stupid ass blue check mark. Are, are you bitter about your uncheck mark? No, you have a check mark. No, oh, from the very beginning I did, but yeah. but somehow Instagram oh. likes to give blue check marks to my peers who have seven thousand Instagram followers and my fifteen thousand doesn't rate a blue check mark. I'm confident that by the time people are hearing this, you've had a blue check mark for centuries. I'm furious. And well deserved. Because people are out there putting their their selfies of themselves with cherry pie and a, and a wool jacket and saying, it's me, John Roderick. You can trust me. Buy this hand lotion. So lame. You want the big money from big lotion. I do. I want that big lotion dollars. Yeah, Futurelings will probably already have heard ad reads from you and I, both, uh, you know, extolling the virtues of Jurgens. <laughs> Don't say that. What if we get the oh, pal- what if oh, we get the palmolive? Sorry, deal? sorry, sorry. Take that out. Take that out. Uh, our uh, Twitter handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. You'll find blue check marks by both because we are very important celebrities. Your seal of approval. I'm also on Instagram without a blue check mark. If anyone listening can protest that, lodge a complaint with Instagram HQ. It could be somebody from ZZ Top impersonating you. How? 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 All rockers with beards look the same to me. 
you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can support the show at patreon.com slash omnibusproject with Please your do. financial uh, contribution because it helps us uh, helps us go along and get along, do all this difficult work. Many have. To the zombies. Many have, and we thank them. And, but if you have not... Please, please reach your tentacles over to Patreon. I have never felt as much gratitude in my life as I felt when our Patreon supporters um, leapt forward to to cradle us in their warm embrace. Except the gratitude I felt to the universe when my daughter was delivered unto my arm. Is it a, is it a tie? Pretty much. No, the I, daughter takes the takes the lead. What a good dad. Yeah, but uh, but the the Patreon supporters. Definitely. Like it was a bigger surprise. In the number two slot. You had nine months to get your head around the idea of a baby girl coming. But, true. but we had no idea if people would care if the show continued or not. And they did. It's really only six months that you That's true. really fully know that you have a baby girl coming. The first three months, you've got to like check your expectations. And even the last six months, if you have the, the privilege of being the dad, <laughs> you, you don't really have to think about all that often either, to be I mean, quite honest. I mean, you're thinking about it, sure, but it's not like, it's not... It's, one of, it's one of many things in your notes app, yeah. which is not true of a pregnant woman. It doesn't make it difficult to roll over at <laughs> night. You don't have to go to the bathroom anymore than you did before. Uh, you're not eating weird Chinese food at weird hours. So donate to our Patreon. Uh, go to theomnibusproject at gmail.com. If you are a Redditor, go to r slash futurelings. Or the other two. Or the other two. The other two are like the, the fake ZZ Top. Yeah, they're the fake, they're the cowboy-hatted <laughs> zombies. Uh, you can uh, interact with other Futurelings on Facebook at the Futurelings fan group. And uh, you can mail us actual tangible things. To P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Sounds like you're opening a letter over there. Well, here's one you didn't open from last time, even though it was specifically to you. Hmm. And it has a a Safeway gift card for your birthday. Hey, that's so nice. What a nice gesture. I think they probably know that I like the Safeway chocolate cake. It is exactly what it is. Is that right? Yes. Does it say so on the thing? It does. They want you to have the sheet cake of your dreams. Oh, that's they make such good cakes. And let me tell you, uh, Futureling, who sent me that, my mom brought the birthday cake this year, and she brought... A hazelnut, some kind of nut cake, chocolate hazelnut something that was basically like a fruit cake made out of Nutella. Ooh, too many nuts. Was it good? No, it was bad. It was like a rum cake. I don't drink or eat or consume alcohol. I was like, does it have rum in it? And she was like, I don't think so. Basically, my mom goes to this natural food bakery because she is always looking for whole wheat sourdough bread. And she says, you can find sourdough bread, which is white, and you can find whole wheat bread, but I want whole wheat sourdough. There's only two culty bakeries in the Northwest that bake this stuff. And she was at her dumb sourdough bread bakery and was like, oh, I need a birthday cake for my son. So bought this hazelnut pile. made Sweetened with raisin syrup. And I was like, listen, we know Safeway chocolate Six-layer cake is what I want for my birthday. It's the official position of the Omnibus Project yes. that grocery store sheet cake is so good. Like so good. You can't, I mean, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to beat at a specialty bakery. If you go to a fancy bakery, they're not going to beat grocery store cake for birthday parties. My wife has issues with some of the frosting in grocery store cakes. 
Like well, you can tell it's vegetable shortening instead of butter. That's why I think you go to Safeway rather than QFC or or uh, or Co- Fred Meyer. Costco also has Co- good cake? has good cake. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. there's there's an option for you. Anyway, thank you so much for that, uh, Futureling, for that gift card. I will spend it on cake today. I'm opening your mail, apparently live on the show now. Right. Listeners, from our vantage point here in your distant past, we have no idea how long our cake-eating days will last. We hope and pray that the imminent catastrophe may be withheld. In fact, that it may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this very recording may be our final word to you. But... If providence allows, if the gods of rock allow, those who those that have allowed the zombies to continue to record into their 70s, if they preserve us as well, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>